Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. You know how sometimes as parents, we totally overreact to a parenting problem. I mean, it's not that disrespectfulness and lying aren't real problems that we need to address. But in these moments, our brain reacts as if we don't stop the problem right now, then we're all going to just die, which is almost never actually true. So why is our brain freaking out like it is? We're going to talk about the two main reasons for this in today's episode. I'm Robin Goble, and this is the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and, of course, their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. This is episode 20, and today we are learning about parent brains instead of kid brains, though If you stick around and follow me long enough, you'll start to see how there really isn't a whole lot of difference. I started this podcast 20 episodes. I started this podcast 20 episodes ago to get free, accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll even hear cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. If you love this episode, Add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you, and there's a ton. You can also read about The Club, a very special virtual space for parents to experience connection, co-regulation, and a little trauma-informed education. And we're opening the door for new members very soon. Why, as parents, do we get so dysregulated, so triggered, furious, or we shut down, or, I mean, insert whatever big feeling you're having in the face of your kid's dysregulation. And some of it, if we're honest with ourselves, is pretty small stuff, right? Like these kind of mild bumps in the road can awaken huge feelings in us, uh, a feeling that's so big that it's really preventing you from parenting in the way that you know you really want to. And of course, this doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries or 
have very legitimate feelings of frustration, annoyance, grief. I'm, I'm definitely not talking about that at all. I'm talking about these enormous feelings that aren't exactly proportionate to the problem that we're having. And then again, ultimately are preventing us from really parenting the way that you want to. Of course, being ignored or yelled at or sworn at or you know, disrespected or man, like a kid who's refusing to eat or eating too much or sneaking or stealing or won't do a chore or, 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 right. I mean, this list is, is endless. And these behaviors are of course, never going to feel great. That's not the goal. We're not, I'm not asking you to, or suggesting that there's a way that difficult behaviors suddenly becomes something that we don't care about, right? That's not it at all. But again, sometimes our brain goes into like full on attacking watchdog mode or full on collapsed possum brain, right? When the reality is that our kids refusing to do a chore or ignoring us or even yelling at us or being disrespectful isn't actually life-threatening. So the question then becomes, if it isn't life-threatening, why does our brain go into attack mode, a mode we really only need when we believe something is life-threatening? We've spent a lot of time thinking about the arousal continuum with regards to our kids, right? There's a podcast episode on it, one of my earliest ones. There's a couple blog episodes about the arousal continuum. And then, of course, you know, my full parent course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain, is created and offered around the idea of the arousal continuum. So again, we'd spend a lot of time thinking about the arousal continuum with regards to our kids, but my dear friend, Eileen Devine, who was a guest on a previous podcast episode as well, what Eileen says is the brain is the brain is the brain and you Mom, you, dad, you, grandma, or aunt, or uncle, you teacher, therapist, whatever role, whatever hat you're wearing as you listen to this podcast episode, you have a brain too. And so do I, right? So, why does our brain go into attack mode, a mode we need when things are really dangerous, life-threatening or potentially life-threatening if we aren't actually in a life-threatening situation? Because again, as much as it feels like your child refusing to go to school or your child yelling at you or ignoring you, right? Those things can feel life-threatening, but rarely are those behaviors actually life-threatening? We're going to talk about two main reasons in this episode. I'm sure there's a lot more reasons, but we're going to focus on these two reasons today in today's episode. And then of course, I have a corresponding blog post on this topic. So you can head over to robingobel.com backslash blog and check out that blog post. The first reason we're going to look at today that leaves us 
having huge kind of like life-threatening reactions to situations that aren't exactly life-threatening is that we as parents, caregivers, helpers, and healers, we're have a pretty narrow window of stress tolerance. So when I teach about the window of stress tolerance, just as a quick aside here, I teach about it as the space in our nervous system in which we can tolerate stress without freaking out. And you and I know that our window of stress tolerance varies a lot, right? Like it varies day to day. It can vary moment to moment, hour to hour. It can vary based on what behavior we're presented with. There's a lot of different things that can kind of close up our window of tolerance. There's a lot of things that can widen our window of tolerance, but without a doubt, a lot of us are walking around the world with a pretty narrow window of stress tolerance right now, right? I mean, we're about to hit the year anniversary of here in the United States, at least of going into pandemic lifestyle, right? This is a year into economic uncertainty. This is a year into, for some of us, virtual schooling our kids, a year into life having been completely flipped on his head. And for some, I know some families of kids with a history of trauma where these new circumstances have actually been helpful when considering their kids' behaviors, right? There's been ways that really um, closing our kids' worlds up and making them smaller and not leaving the house very much has decreased our child's level of stress. So their behaviors are actually a little bit better right now. But I also know that there are plenty of families out there where the exact opposite is true, right? That we're now in families that are parenting kids with trauma-related behaviors and we're cooped up right? We've lost our respite. Maybe there's, you know, a limited access to services that were limited before that for some of our families, the pandemic has wildly increased our kids' stress levels or really decreased the kinds of things that helped keep their stress levels at bay, extracurriculars, maybe, or, playful experiences that were supportive of them or therapies, right. That were, that were helpful. So we're living in a time of increased stress, increased isolation, increased overwhelm, right. Our kids experience of felt safety. Many of us, many families, their kids experience of felt safety has really been rattled. Right. What this means then is that some of our kids, you know, their trauma related dysregulation and challenging behaviors are at an all time high. And we are at an all time low with our ability to, you know, regulate through these behaviors, tolerate through these behaviors. We're not getting any breaks. There comes a point where there's just only so much we can take. Chronic stress and overwhelm, even when it's not life-threatening, causes our window of stress tolerance to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller 
and smaller, right? When our window of stress tolerance is nice and wide, we can tolerate stress kind of without freaking out, right? So we have a feeling that matches the level of stress. That could be frustration or annoyance. You know, I really want to emphasize that when I say, you know, widening our window of tolerance or not responding with such dysregulation, I'm not suggesting that somehow, you know, difficult or challenging or troublesome behaviors don't bother us and we don't have valid reactions of frustration, annoyance, irritation, a little anxiety even, right? That I'm definitely not over here talking about, you know, kind of toxic positivity or pretending we don't have normal human feelings. But when our window of stress tolerance is wider, we can have feelings of frustration, have feelings of annoyance and irritation, nervousness, sadness, We can have those feelings without completely losing our minds and totally flipping our lids. We can stay connected to the emotion and then use the emotion to help us know what to do next. Frustration and annoyance are feelings that often suggest we need to set a boundary that what's happening is beyond what our boundaries are okay with. Frustration and annoyance is information. Feelings are information. They help us help guide what are the next steps that we can take, right? But when our window of stress tolerance is too small or really, really, really narrow, right? These molehill size problems become mountains. Teeny tiny little stressors feel like we're being chased by saber-toothed tigers. And we can't have feelings of frustration or annoyance and stay connected to those feelings and regulate through those feelings and use those feelings to help guide us of what to do next because we go immediately to a huge, huge, huge feelings blown totally outside our window of tolerance. And now we're yelling or screaming or threatening or being totally overwhelmed and, and shutting down. Okay. So a narrow window of stress tolerance is one reason why we are flipping our lids in the face of behaviors that really don't need a flip lid reaction, right? So the next question is, of course, well, how do we increase our window of stress tolerance? Great question. I've blogged about this a little bit already. We'll do more episodes about this in the future. In the meantime, you can head over to my blog and I'll put these links in the show notes, but I have a blog on finding play and playfulness for us as adults, because playfulness is a really great way to widen our window of stress tolerance. Um, A lot of parents tell me that they've really lost their playfulness that's just an indication that we are um, having a really narrow window of stress tolerance that we're experiencing the impact of trauma ourselves in our own nervous systems. 
So finding ways to reconnect with or rediscover play or playfulness in our own lives. I'm not necessarily talking about playing with your kids, but playfulness for ourselves is a way to increase our stress tolerance. And then of course, you hear me talk over and over again all the time about increasing self-compassion because the more compassion that we can have for ourselves, the wider our window of stress tolerance becomes. So again, I'll put some direct links down in the show notes, but also you can go find those blogs over um, at robingobel.com slash blog or kind of scroll back through previous podcast episodes and you'll see a podcast episode about self-compassion. I also would love for you to check out the club, which is my virtual group of education, connection, and co-regulation for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. The, the club in this virtual way definitely kind of teaches some good, good, cool, important things that parents are finding really helpful. But my focus in the club is really more about facilitating and offering connection and co-regulation because actually those things change the brain even more than the education does. And without the connection and co-regulation and how that raises our window of stress tolerance, all the education in the world doesn't even matter because we can't stay connected enough to kind of our thinking brain or our owl brain to use any of those cool things that we're learning about. So robingobel.com slash the club is where you can learn more about the club and see if that's a good fit for you or your family uh, to get the connection, co-regulation and increase your own window of stress tolerance. There's another reason I want to talk about today that in my experience, impacts every human on the planet, certainly every human I've ever met, and is related to why we have these, you know, mountain out of a molehill reactions to our kids' behaviors. And that is the idea of implicit memory and implicit memory awakenings in us as the parents. I talk about implicit memory awakenings and how that's related to behaviors in my free video with accompanying ebook, right, on trauma, memory, and behaviors, which you can find at robingobel.com slash video series. That video series is all about implicit memory and our kids and how that's related to the behaviors that you see in our kids. But this is true about us too as adults. Early life experiences shape the way we perceive the world and our expectations about how things are going to go next. One of our brain's primary jobs is anticipation, what's about to happen so we know how to react to it or respond to it really, really, really quickly, right? So we're not always learning and reinventing the wheel. The brain becomes this organ of anticipation, right? And, and, and we also adapt to early painful experiences in a really brilliant, heroic ways that help us meet our needs the best way we knew how, right? When we were small and these early hard experiences happened to us, and then we develop ways to protect ourselves from experiencing overwhelming and 
often not co-regulated painful experiences. So as an example, maybe when we were really small, baby, toddler, preschooler, our own cries and our own needs went unanswered. And, And maybe this happened a lot. And when we were small, having our needs ignored a lot is actually life-threatening, right? Our brain experiences the lack of response as something very, very, very dangerous. Because when you're a tiny baby or a toddler, if we can't rely on or trust the grown-ups to hear our voice, which is often a cry, and then to meet our needs, this is experienced as life-threatening because we can't meet our own needs. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoble.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe, and then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. And now that we're 40 or 50 or 25 or whatever, now that we're an adult, right? And we have kids who are ignoring us. We aren't in a life-threatening situation like we were when we were small and being ignored was life-threatening. Right. But because of this very intricate, brilliant, heroic protective system that we all have, that's always, you know, looking for how to prevent negative experiences from happening again. Right. This protective system is doing its best to keep us safe in the here and now. But oftentimes this protective system is really stuck in the past. So even though now we're an adult and now being ignored by somebody, even our kids, isn't life-threatening, right? We have this young part of ourselves that is still on the lookout for being ignored because it used to be life-threatening. And then we have this really young part of ourselves that get, you know, notices when we're being ignored, but doesn't notice that we're adults now, doesn't notice that we have different ways to be safe or different ways to be okay in the world. And these really young parts of ourselves like jump to the rescue to say, whoa, 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 this is life-threatening danger, right? So we're adults now and we're being ignored by our kids and our own child parts of us say, 
hold up, being ignored is life-threatening. And so we have a reaction that's huge, a reaction that feels, that our reaction that's in response to something that feels life-threatening. Or maybe when we were very, very, very small, very young, ignoring our parents was very dangerous, right? We learned that if we didn't have immediate responses and immediate responses in ways that satisfied the adult, I mean, as little kids, we're not um, usually very sure what that is, but man, do we try, right? In order to keep the stress down in the house or in order to keep us safe or our siblings safe or whoever, right? We would have never dreamed of ignoring our, our parents, maybe. Maybe we would have like just jumped to it right away right? And we did this in an attempt to stay safe so that we didn't get hurt physically or emotionally or the other people in our house didn't get physically and emotionally. But now maybe we're 50 or 60 or 25 or 30. Now we're adults. And now when our kids ignore us, our own very wise and still on alert, but stuck in the past protective system, is actually trying to protect our children by having an enormous reaction that then gets a response from them, right? We feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's not safe to ignore. And I don't want my child to be unsafe. When they ignore me, I am terrified for their safety. And so I'm going to spring into action so that they can't possibly ignore me. And oftentimes what that might look like is screaming, yelling, having this huge, huge, huge reaction. That's pretty hard to ignore, right? Now, truly, I understand that this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, practically speaking, but it makes perfect sense to our implicit memories. And sometimes those implicit memories take over and take charge, right? I mean, we're not consciously thinking these things through. We're not consciously thinking, Oh, when I was a kid, ignoring my parents was extremely dangerous. And I want to protect you from that extremely dangerous experience. So when you ignore me, I'm going to react in a way that would make you not able to ignore me. And that's my way of keeping you safe. No, no, no. Obviously, we're not thinking all of that through, right? We're responding way faster than we could consciously think all of that through. But here's the thing behaviors are mostly part of our implicit, and that means unconscious world. We like to think that that's not true. We like to think we have a lot of control over our behaviors, and sometimes we do, and we can certainly work to have more control and more explicit awareness and to slow down our behavioral responses to things. That's an absolute goal we can have, but also the reality is a lot of behavior is implicit. And behavioral impulses are triggered in the brain way faster than our conscious explicit memory could stop them or pause them. Okay, so consider a behavior in your child that has awakened something really intense in you. Do you guys hear my roosters growing? Okay, let me say that again. Consider a behavior in your child that seems to awaken something really intense for you. Maybe you have a child that is shut down and you would label lazy. I don't really believe in the label of lazy, 
but that's something we'll talk about a different time. So maybe when you were small, achievement is how you stayed safe or created your identity or got seen by other people. Not being seen and not having an identity actually can feel annihilating. That's, that's life-threatening. Right. So maybe your child gets really rude and sassy and just downright disrespectful. And I agree with you that it's super important to speak to others with respect. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a reaction to disrespect, but when we react with intensity or anger or our own shutdown or, you know, or our own ignoring behaviors, we aren't really going to help the real problem right? Which is supporting our kids and expressing their needs and feelings in appropriate pro-social ways. That's our goal, right? And so screaming and yelling or shutting down or ignoring, right? None of those reactions from us kind of support what our end goal is in supporting our kids, right? Our reaction to their disrespect touches into our own painful past implicit memories, Right. When we learned to toe the line, never express any negative feelings so that we could keep the peace as much as possible, or we were treated with such our own extreme disrespect, right? But we, we were young and small and little kids, and we couldn't have the boundary to keep it from happening again. So our boundaries or our bodies and our implicit selves now want to react with all the power that we couldn't react with when we were small. Now, obviously in this episode, I just took one, you know, really thought about one kind of trigger and one potential reaction. The, the, the possibilities here are endless. You know, how we, our own implicit selves developed this way of protective behavior and our children's behavior sometimes awakens those implicit memories. And then we respond in ways that our implicit selves and our child selves believes are helpful in keeping us safe when ultimately they're really not right. So this pulls us back to this belief, right? That no behavior is maladaptive. All behavior makes sense. This is true of our kids and it's true of us. If you want to learn a little bit more about the science behind our implicit awakenings and how like the stream of the past comes together with the stream of the now, I do have a blog about that. And I have also done a previous podcast episode about it. It was one of my very first early ones. Um, so I'll link to the blog in my show notes, and then you can scroll back in this, in the podcast to see that episode called no behavior is maladaptive. And then again, I mentioned already, but there's another way to deep dive into memory processing theory, which happens to be one of my most favorite things to study with regards to trauma and how trauma impacts the brain. But I have a short video series as well as a free ebook that comes along with it. It's all free and it's all created in a way that takes this complex memory science and makes it make sense. So you can find that at robingobel.com slash video series. So both of those resources are written with our kids in mind, like from a parenting perspective, but see if you can read the articles or watch the videos while thinking about yourself, including yourself as a child and yourself now. 
understanding the science a little bit more might help your own behaviors make some more sense to you. And when our behaviors make sense, we can have more compassion for ourselves. And when we have more compassion, we create the opportunity for integration in the brain. Compassion is the neurobiology of change. When we can hold ourselves in compassion, we create the opportunity that the stream of the past and the stream of the present can come together equally instead of the stream of the past flooding us, which would, if they came together equally, that would increase the likelihood that we could respond in a way that matches the present situation, not in a way that matches our past. I'll be sure I put all of these resources into the show notes. So you can really easily just click through and go right to them on my website. In addition to everything I've already mentioned, I have over 40 blog articles at robingobel.com slash blog, as well as a page full of free downloadable resources, videos, PDFs, all sorts of cool stuff, robingobel.com slash free resources. If your family is in need of even more support, again, I'd love to invite you to join the club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and a little education for parents just like you. Parents in the club are saying things like, I had no idea how helpful it would be to feel less alone. Undoing aloneness changes the brain. And changing the brain means you feel better and then parent the way that you want to. Over at robingobel.com, you can get on the list for the wait list for the next time the club opens up and it's opening up again soon. robingobel.com slash the club. Also over on my website, you can get immediate access to short webinars on pretty narrow topics like lying or opposition or food challenges. Or you can get instant access to my deep dive, completely comprehensive online parenting course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain. If you are loving this podcast, please share. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are completely amazing, sometimes struggling, and sometimes struggling a lot. Thank you for tuning in today. I will catch you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, Okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. 
We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.